Welcome. Good morning. All right. I am excited about this new series because the book of Malachi is one that we tend to skip over because, one, it's the last book of the Old Testament, and two, it's in what we call the minor prophets, which are really not minor. There's a lot of major things that happen in the minor prophets. So if you have our app, you can click the link at the top of the feed to find your digital bulletin and notes there. We're going to be in the book of Malachi this month. This is going to be a month where we explore what the themes in Malachi and what God shows us there. And it, we're calling it fresh faith. And some of us need some fresh faith as we walk in this morning. So I'm going to ask each one of you this morning to think just in a fresh way about how God loves you this morning. So take everything out of your mind that's distracting you, your lunch plans, the stressors in your life, the stuff that kept you up at night, all those things, and focus on what God's word says in Malachi here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are coming before you. And just as we sang, forgive us for ever doubting that you love us. Forgive us for, for chasing after other things to find love. God, help us to trust you this morning. And through the prophet Malachi and what it says in your word, help us to see our own condition and realize how much we need you and how much you love us. God, may your Holy Spirit move in our hearts and our minds this morning as we turn to pursue you. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever suffered or doubted if someone loved you? I'm not going to do a show of hands because I'm pretty sure everyone in the room would raise their hand. Can't buy me love is what the Beatles sang in 1964. Anyone, anyone around when that song came out? I'm just kidding. Okay, there's people raising their hands. Sorry. Because they were right about something. Because love cannot be purchased or bought. It can't be purchased or bought. And so many of us have asked the question of someone else, how have you loved us? How have you loved us? How have you loved me? Either we're genuinely curious, or from frustration, or maybe wanting proof because of the suffering we're experiencing. How have you loved me? That might be how we interact with each other, but how do we interact with God? There's flies in here. Did you hear that, guys? But how do we interact with God? When we suffer, do we question God's love for us? Do we question God's love for us? Are you disillusioned with God? What I mean by that is, you can get stuck in routine, but is there something fresh about your routine every time that you experience God in your life? Are you questioning God's love for you because of what you're going through? Maybe there's things you've been through that you question whether God loves you. And what we're going to find today in Malachi is the Israelites are just like us. They were beaten down at times. Sometimes they really succeeded. 
But they were wondering what to do, longing for love, God's love. We find them in the book of Malachi, recovering from years of seeing their enemies, their captors being prosperous, while they were subjugated and put into slavery. And God says he loves them, but they just respond with, how have you loved us? Let's go to Malachi chapter 1. Let's see what it says here. Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read all that right now. It starts, and Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible with you, the last book in the Old Testament, and it's the first chapter that we're covering today, first five verses. It says, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Well, that's a pronouncement right there. And it starts in verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I've loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. I've laid waste to his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear it down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Get this at the last verse here, verse 5. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Now, this book is so short, many of you have skimmed over this book when you read the Bible. <laughs> I can't say that there, when I was younger, I was like, Oh, Malachi, I'm going to get to Matthew. There's more in Matthew. Jesus is in Matthew. So let's get a little bit of the background here. Starting with, what does an oracle mean? An oracle is a message of judgment. This should get your heart rate going. If someone says, I have an oracle from the Lord, you're going to be like, boom, 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 boom. You're going to be a little bit tense. It's like the principal when you were a kid saying, get in my office. Right? You're in the principal's office now. That's what an oracle means. It's this judgment. You're a little bit freaked out. But we don't know much about Malachi. So, you know, consider the source. Who's, who's Malachi? I think what's important is we don't know much about Malachi. That's actually more important than if we knew a lot about him. It takes the focus away from the writer to the message. So we need to listen to the message that comes after this verse. So let me give you some background. You may wonder who's the audience, what's Israel like at this point, and so we need to get some background that is important for the entire book. We're on the first week of the series, and so I, I, I know that we need to unpack some of the, the message and who it was sent to. First off, Israel was divided into two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Almost 300 years before Malachi was written, the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria. They were literally taken from their land, carted off, and taken to Assyria. So they're gone. Fifty years after that, uh, well, soon after that, soon after that, the southern kingdom, Judah, was, was conquered by Babylon. So the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom were both conquered by different people. They carted them off to Babylon. That's where we get some of the, the book of Daniel. They're in Babylon at that point. Now, 50 years after that, some Jews are allowed to return to Israel. They're allowed to go back to their country. And so this is where we find ourselves 
after a couple hundred years of them being allowed back in their country, but with nothing, they're just a ragtag group of people watching their enemies prosper. That's where we find the people in verse 1. And if you've ever felt like God's abandoned you, they had a reason to say, how do you love us? They had a reason. Because they were, they were putting the effort in, but not finding what God was saying he was going to do. So with all that in mind, and knowing what an oracle means, what comes first in this message should be a surprise, right? If, it, if it's come to the principal's office, and now God, the first thing God says is, what does he say? I love you. We should expect a harsh word, but instead the message is very different. Despite the people's unfaithful history and complicated current situation, God loves his people. That hasn't changed. He says, I have loved you. It says, says the Lord. Now, this may seem like a little bit of a pivot, but what God does here is he doesn't address the sin that brought him to that situation. He just says what he's doing. So sin's not the first thing to address when people that are a mess come to you. It's that God loves them. When we know God loves us, it should cause us to repent of our sin and hate our sin. I know that's a strong word, but hate our sin rather than hating the consequences for our sin. Which is what everyone does. Anyone can say, I hate the consequences of sin. When you get in trouble, are you more worried about being caught or the fact that you did the thing that hurt someone else or was wrong? The foundation of our response to God is that we love him because he first loved us. Romans 5.8 says, but God showed his love for us in that we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When God says he loves us, it's not just an emotional high. You know the description of butterflies in your stomach? It's not butterflies in your stomach. He has a solid attitude, steadfast attitude that uncha- is unchangeable of love towards us. I say I love you to my, my wife and my kids frequently. Probably too much. It's annoying. I think some of my kids are like, oh, dad's saying I love you again. I say I love you all the time. What do I expect in a response usually? I was just carrying my daughter that's like four years old this morning, carrying her down the stairs, and I said, I love you. And you know, without hesitation, you know what she said back? I love you too. The people here are not doing that. They're saying, hold up, God. How have you loved us? How have you loved us? Imagine for a second your spouse, your dad, your mom, your siblings, your kids, your grandkids, your friends. You say, I love you, and they're like, how have you loved us? Like, what have you done for me lately? Like, what, what? That doesn't make any sense. Anyone ever watch Star Wars? I love Star Wars. In Star Wars, there's a scene where one person confesses their love for another, and they say, I love you, and the other person goes, I know. It's like famous for just being like the weirdest thing you'd ever say. No one expected that line because they expected what? Can you guys say it? What do they expect? I love you too. Some of you might have had 
that response, though, the how have you loved us. It's the show us the evidence response. It's the show me what you're doing for me lately. And the people here want to see what God is doing right now. They are worried about it. After years of watching others prosper, they were not following God. And they're probably thinking, life's got to be better than this. God, is this what love looks like? Because I don't like this. God's not exciting anymore. But there's something important that we all need to know this morning. But God fiercely loves us, and we need to trust him. But God fiercely loves us, and we need to trust him. There's nothing that he can't overcome with his love. So God responds again right after this. After they say, how have you loved us? He responds, but not the way we would expect. If you read there, go down verse 2, verse 3. Instead of listing the things that God has done for Israel, he asks them to compare themselves to others. And it's often bad to compare, right? Anyone have siblings? If you have a family at all, any family, which we all do in some way, it's bad to compare. You know what my kids do? My children do it all the time, and it's not very rare that they do this, but they argue about who got more at dinner. Some parents are smiling because you know what I'm talking about. It's like, it's always, it's always the most thing that they actually don't want to eat. Like, my kids are like, like, you got more mac and cheese than me. And I'm like, well, you're not even arguing over dessert. I mean, come on, guys, save it for the right time. Like, seriously. They are right here. God is asking them to compare here for a second. But in this case, God is allowing us a lens to view this comparison. Jacob and Esau. And if you don't know much about Jacob and Esau, I'm going to tell you about them. They're not great people. Let's just be honest. They're twins. Esau's older. Jacob's name literally means heel grabber. You know, he was the second one, so he's grabbing Esau's heel and trying to pull him back in the womb or something. Heel grabber or cheater. Jacob's name actually can be translated cheater. God's love for his people represented by Jacob, is a devoted commitment. God's hatred of wicked people, represented by Esau, is the absence of any commitment. So when you hear the word hate in this passage, it means absence of commitment. God is like, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. And in this case, you're probably uncomfortable as I was when I first read this, with God having hatred towards the wicked, But God does love his people differently. Let me give you a human example. A human example. We do not love everyone equally. We just don't. Okay. Before I say this, I'm not advocating for what this next sentence is. Okay. All the husbands do not love all the wives equally. Can I get an amen to that? We don't. We love our own wife in a special way. If you're married, you don't love everyone's wife. That's just crazy. You love your own wife in a special way. Jacob and Esau didn't deserve God's grace. Neither one of them deserved to be God's people. Esau traded his birthright for a meal. I need need soup right now. I'm tired. 
you can have the, the entire, like everything our dad is going to give to us. If Esau was my kid, I would avoid all the aisles with candy in them at the grocery store. He had no self-control. He'd just be picking things out. Oh, I feel hungry. I'm going to get this. Esau wanted to kill his brother, but he was cheated by Jacob. Before we think Jacob was off the hook. But even Jacob then wasn't better than Esau. If your family was hungry, wouldn't you share food with them? The story of Jacob, he, he shares food, but how he does it is Jacob instead tricks Esau into trading his birthright for some food. If Esau was the muscle, Jacob is the brains. They both used what God gave them to sin against each other. Whoa. You guys are like, well, now it's turning into an oracle. <laughs> it's a little different. Which of them deserved God's love? Anybody got any ideas? Neither. Neither one of them. They both needed to repent. If God was fair, he would have rejected them both. But I'm here this morning to say this. Thank God he's not fair. Thank God he's not fair. He is just not fair. God fiercely loves us, and we need to trust him. If he can love Jacob, he can love us. God fiercely loves us, and we need to trust him. Just because Jacob and Esau came from Isaac and Abraham, basically the fathers in the faith of Israel, doesn't mean they were going to have faith. Faith is not hereditary. Anyone learn that lesson? Faith is not hereditary. We don't just grow up in church and magically are saved. We're not born into faith in Jesus Christ. It's something you're born a second time into, into faith. God tells us here, though, this is not the end of his story in our lives. It's just starting. It's just starting. His love is greater than our fears. While Israel was suffering in exile, Edom, which was the descendants of, of Esau, that they're talking about were successful, but the situation was going to change. And the people didn't know that yet until Malachi here gives the oracle from the Lord. How does this comparison answer Israel's question? The comparison of Jacob and Esau. When life gets hard, we are tempted to doubt that God loves us. Look at Esau and Jacob. Both had sinned, and neither deserved God's love. Both had consequences. When we go through suffering, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. Even when we are suffering, God still loves us. God fiercely loves us, and we need to trust him. It's not just about God loving us. It's about, instead of asking, how have you loved us, saying, God, I love you too. That's what's so important. We can doubt God's love for us because we forget what Jesus did and is doing for us. We can compare ourselves in unhealthy ways, right? I want more mac and cheese. You got more than me. We can want that Instagram life and not realize the trials that those same people are going through. When you see a picture, it doesn't paint what their life is like. We become jealous of other people's lives and it covers our restless thoughts because we lack meaning. This all could be true of us if we don't answer the question, I love you too. 
We could be like Jacob. Are you like Jacob? So Jacob, Jacob is like this. God called you to himself, but you're stubbornly self-reliant. You're asking, why am I suffering after all I've done for you? That's what you're telling God right now. If we only love God as a means to get what we want, we'll be sorely disappointed. Because, as I've said before, he's not a gumball machine. You don't put a quarter of prayer in and then all of a sudden he gives you what you want. You could be like Esau. And some of you are like, I'm like Jacob and Esau's worse. Well, they're both, they're both way off. Esau was indifferent to God. God didn't really matter much in his daily life. He doesn't really care. You, you know, if you have enough, you're comfortable, it's good enough. You trust in your own skills and strengths, your own money, your own cleverness. You even actually maybe cheer when Christians are brought low. When you hear of another pastor falling, you're like, ooh, that was my experience my whole life. So which one are you right now? Are you doubting God? Are you like Jacob, self-reliant, loving God to only get what you want? Or are you like Esau? God doesn't matter in your daily life. You come to church, you come here, but you never explore the love of God on any other day. And despite all of that, God loves you. He loves his people. And God's love is greater than who we are and what we've done. John chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to read this to you in a second, but I would encourage you, if you want to hear about how much God loves you, read John 13 through chapter 17. It's amazing. God loves you so much. And it all starts in chapter 13, but in 15 we find a restatement of what's in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. So in John 15 it says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. This sounds like really wishy-washy, but Jesus is your friend. Like, think about that for a second. The friend that in love sacrificed himself for your eternal destiny. No greater love are you going to find. Nowhere else. Not in a person. Not in a place. Not in a people. Not in money. Nothing. You can't find that. Let's listen to the Beatles for a second. You can't buy love. God's love is right there as a free gift. You can't buy it. There's nothing you can do to earn it more. It's there. So this is where it gets exciting, though. Let's reread verse 5, and we're going to jump back to Malachi. Verse 5. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Hold up. The first four verses seem like this is for Israel, and just Israel. And then... Verse 4, you kind of see he's doing stuff in Edom. So you're like, okay, it's beyond the borders of Israel. But that first statement that says, I loved you, I have loved you, who's that for? James spoke to the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15. And he spoke of how God's love expressed to his people was larger than just the Jews. This includes you and I. 
I know, you're like, wait a second, Old Testament prophet speaking for all eternity, the word of God? Let's go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, 16 through 18, where James says, After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. Okay, that sounds a little bit like what was said earlier in Malachi. And then it says that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. We are his people. That's what this is saying. You read this. And I, I look at it and it goes, and all the Gentiles are called by my name. That's his people. Anyone not have a last name? If you have a last name, you're called by your name, like your father's name, your, your grandfather's name, your great-grandfather. You have a last name. And our last name, our adopted name, is with God. And then you go back to the Old Testament in Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. It tells of Israel's restoration, including all the nations. It's not just for Israel. It's not just for them. And it says in verse 11, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Sounds very similar, right? Then it continues here. That they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. The nations that are called by my name. God's love does not have borders that we put on it. There are people groups that God is continuing to work in and through. The love of God for his people includes the restoration of what God has promised. If we go to Paul, he's got a lot to say about this too. Romans chapter 9, verses 13 through 16 tells us about more opportunities that God used to share with the entire world. And if you, you will see the connection here in verse 13, it says right away, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. It's actually a direct quote from there, from Malachi, and it's also, um, I believe, from Exodus. Verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on who I will have mercy, and I will have compassion who I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion. We can't earn it. We can't earn the love of God, but on God who has mercy. God's love does not have the borders that we put on it. God decides to have mercy, compassion, and love on those who we don't expect. They're unexpected to us to receive love. And you may feel like an outsider, but God's love goes outside the borders of what we think. God is indeed great beyond the borders of Israel. If you actually read that last verse, that could be a verse you memorize. And you say, God is great beyond the borders of Israel. God's great in my house. God is going to be great in my life. And we can't forget that. This led me to think about a hymn that I used to sing when I was younger. I know some of you are like, you're not that old to sing hymns. I used to go to hymn sing when I was a kid. And I loved this hymn. We sang it all the time. We would sing it all the time. 
And the hymn, the third verse of this hymn, called The Love of God is Greater Far, describes how great the love of God is. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That's the love of God. To write of the love of God or to speak of the love of God is an endless pursuit that we will never reach its depths. God loves you. The Bible's his love letter to you. And I would say Malachi is a love letter to all of us. As, we're, as we are children, we're told, Jesus loves me. But the love of God is greater than just a simple phrase, but it's to, something to be immersed in every day. It's not just for part of our life. It's for all of our life. God fiercely loves us, and we need to trust him. He fiercely loves us. It's not, it's not safe but it's love, and we need to trust him. So what? What's the big deal? You guys are like, we're in the Old Testament and Malachi, and we want to have fresh faith. Well, part of fresh faith is realizing that God loves us so much, so we'll trust that God's fierce love, God's fierce love for his people. We're not going to forget about that. Our trust should not be determined by our circumstance. You know, I've walked up to people, and I've said it myself, I'm having a bad day. That should not determine whether we believe God loves us, but it should be by God being trustworthy. So many others demand our trust, and God just asks for an opportunity to earn our trust. You notice he didn't say back right there? <laughs> he didn't just go, how could you ever ask that? Come on, you know I love you. Wouldn't that kind of be what we would expect? I, one of us is somewhere in here has probably said that before to somebody. Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Why would you ever ask that question? He loves us. Can you say, I love you too, back? So how are we going to be for our community? We're going to be instruments of God's love in our community. Sometimes it's just a smile. Sometimes it's opening a door for sometimes. Sometimes it's a tear. But transformative love comes in many forms. Love in our community looks like being loved and doing acts of love in our community, giving the benefit of the doubt in the community for the benefit of God's love being shown to others. So how, how is this going to connect to our core values? Bring, build, send. What does that look like? We're going to bring people to God's fierce love. God loves sinners. And Paul says this, and I think we can all say this, of which I am. And Paul actually continues and says, I am the worst. God loves us and takes us as we are, offering love that's unconditional. That's what we're bringing people to. Unconditional love in a world filled with conditions. Any of you ever go somewhere where you have to sign a waiver? Oh, there's so many conditions. Like, I did a Tough Mudder once. Do you know what a Tough Mudder is? If you don't, don't do it. Don't even look it up. It's scary. I was walking bow-legged for like a week. They have you sign a waiver, and at the top it says death waiver. 
There's so many conditions. Like, if you die in this way, then we're not responsible. If you do this, if you get sick, if you do, 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 there's so many conditions. And God's not making us sign a waiver. He's saying, just repent. That's all he's saying. It's so simple, but yet so difficult. It's unconditional love. So something else that we can do. We can build. We will build into people the contagious love of God. This last year, we spent a lot of time being worried about being contagious. It's not because we're trying to be contagious about God's love, right? Contagious love casts out fear. 1 John 1.18 says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. We needed to love others well so that God can get the glory. So what are we afraid of? What's going to stop us from loving others well? If God's getting the glory, and so what are we going to do? How are we going to send people out? We're going to send people outside the borders of what we think we can. There's no borders on the love of God. It's outside the borders of Israel, which to an Israelite, that was almost blasphemous. It was something that they never expected to happen. When God's love is involved, we will be able to do and be things that we never imagined for God's glory. If we're sent by God to love others, we're going to start with our family, our church, our community, our coworkers, the people we come in contact with, the person that takes our coffee order. That's what we're going to do. So we'll trust God's fierce love for his people. Leave here this morning knowing that God loves you. God loves you. He loves you. There's nobody to impress. There's nothing you can do to get in his good graces because he already did what was needed. I'm going to quote Romans 5, 8 again. It says, God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before you think that you can clean yourself up to go to God, God's already said, I'm already loving you where you're at. God made a sacrifice so we can wake up and live in his love forever. God is fiercely pursuing you. I want to leave you this last question. Are you saying I love you too back? Are you saying I love you too back to him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we know that many of us, if not all of us, have had a point where we're just like the Israelites here. We're saying, God, how have you loved us? How have you loved us? But your fierce love overcomes that doubt. It goes beyond the borders of what we were thinking was going to happen. Because you're not just the God of Israel, you're the God of the universe. You're our Father. You love us. When we feel like you don't, God, we pray this week that as a church you'd help us to surround each other with the love that you have for us. You'd help us to see opportunities to be 
God's love to others. Live unconditional lives, sacrificial lives. God, help us to trust you for all of our days. We say all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.